0: AYW News Radio Original Podcasts. America's GDP increased at an annual rate of 4.9% in the third quarter of 2023. Now, that is very impressive, especially compared to recent years. But economists still seem to be making some pessimistic predictions. This is a measure called gross domestic product. It tallies the value of goods and services sold in the U.S., and it increased at an annualized pace of 4.9 percent in the third quarter. That is up from 2.1 percent in the second quarter, 2.2 percent in the first quarter. Now, economists believe that the economy overall is likely to continue to slow down. The Federal Reserve meets next week, and it could potentially use this report as a means to perhaps raise interest rates again, though it now seems more like That's CBS financial News financial. business analyst
1: Jill Schlesinger. So what does all this mean? Is the economy doing well or not? Even in normal times, it's an incredibly complex thing and it's a moving target. So, as soon as you understand it, 18 months later, it's, it's changed. I'm Matt Leon, and today
0: on KYW News Radio in depth, we break down how experts analyze the economy and what it means for us everyday people. We talk with Dr. Mark Stair, director of the School of Economics at Drexel's LeBeau College of Business, about what different indicators mean, where they are right now, and why economists seem to always have kind of a negative outlook. So to start, I would just kind of like to get your take as someone who studies the economy. How would you kind of rate where we are right now? Overall? Is it pretty good? Is it surprisingly good? Like, well, how would you describe it?
1: Uh, well, I would say it's pretty good. I think unemployment uh, remains pretty low. It's ticked up a little bit in the last couple of months, but that's not always a bad thing. Sometimes uh, if unemployment goes up, it means more people are Jumping off the sidelines and looking for work, so that's uh, one, unemployment's one of those indicators you can't use just in isolation. Um, so that isn't necessarily bad news if it's ticking up a little bit. We're also seeing inflation coming down, which has been, I think, the big worry over the last couple years. Um, so that is trending down. We're managing to do that. It seems most people think we're going to avoid a recession now, which was maybe not the thinking a year ago. Um, so it looks like. The Fed is going to be able to bring inflation down. You know, they're, they're they're slowing the economy a little bit, but it looks like we may be able to get there without a recession, just maybe by slowing the rate of growth a little bit or softening the job market a little bit without triggering a full-on recession. So overall, I think uh, we've seen a lot worse.
0: <laughs> well, to that point, like we just got the the GDP estimate. I think it was four point nine percent, which it seems to me for years. In quote unquote normal times when you're not in the heart of a pandemic or the housing market's not collapsing, everybody was reaching, wow, 3% would be great. I mean, 4.9%, that seems absurdly good. And yet that didn't seem to really resonate. It was like, oh, yeah, that's impressive. In other news, I mean, am I undershooting it? Like, I don't quite understand why that didn't land like you would think it would.
1: No, I agree with you. The A the, the number that highs, uh, we have not seen numbers like that in a long time. Um, it's probably not, and here I'll, I will uh, I think I'll step a little bit into what you were saying. Us economists are always guilty, of would say it's probably not sustainable that we'll have 4.9% for many quarters in a row, but certainly the economy growing at that clip has got to be good news, especially if it doesn't seem like it's um, triggering a rise in inflation. That would be, I think, the main concern with a high um, growth number like that. But I think I agree with you overall, that's good news. So when
0: we're talking indicators, you you know, you talked unemployment, we just talked GDP to the average person who does not have an MBA, who just kind of wants to get a feel for, you know, are things generally going in the right direction? What would you say are the most important indicators, or the indicators that give you the best kind of overall feel for where we are economically?
1: Yeah, so I do think that the GDP growth is a, is a good one. It's been measured consistently over time for decades. That is a good indicator to pay attention to. Uh, for the unemployment rate, um, that one, I think you need to, if you want to figure out what the labor market's doing, you don't want to just look at the unemployment rate. Uh, you, wanna, you do want to look at it, but you also want to look at uh, what people call the quits rate, and that's telling you uh, the rate at which people literally are quitting their jobs. So it's not doesn't include people getting fired, um, but the quits rate is a good one because if you think people know sort of their what their job market is like, you know, we all, we're all in different job markets. So I'm in the job market for economists. Somebody else might be in the job market for computer programs. Somebody else, uh, auto worker, high skill technician. You know, there's all these different. Um, many job markets out there, but people kind of know often what their own job market looks like. So they kind of might be testing the waters. And if they think the job market is strong, they may quit and look for another job. If they think it's weak, then they they may not take that risk. So the quits rate kind of gives you a pulse on what everybody thinks their own job situation is. And when you aggregate that up, you get a real good view on what kind of everyone, you know, like what we all together think the strength of the labor market is. So that's a good one that's really not reported on much. And then another good one, and this one is a little more of a data intensive, but the the prime age on a, uh, employment to population ratio is a good one. Uh, it kind of captures, it, because it's kind of able to capture this idea of who's on the sidelines and who's not, right? So you kind of, you want to look at prime age because we kind of think those people Um, especially the men all kind of want to be working age 25 to 54. Once you get over 54, you get some people um, moving into retirement. Under 25, you got a lot of people in school. So if you have uh, that rate, that also kind of gives you um, a feel for whether the economy is at a point where more pressure on the labor market might tip into inflation or whether there's still room um, for growth there. So I think those indicators are ones like for the labor market that people may also wanna pay attention to. Now for the average guy on the street, I, I, I guess that's gonna be a little hard um, to find. So probably the unemployment rate is still a good one, but I would say that with the unemployment rate, it's fairly easy to look under the hood if you go on the internet, there's um, lots of different unemployment rates out there. And the one that's reported is just the average across all different kinds of people. And so if you take the unemployment rate, you know, for white males aged 30 to 40, that's going to look a lot different than, say, the um, teen unemployment rate, or you know. So you really got to you got to look across unemployment rates to figure out what's going on. And the labor uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics also looks at what's called discouraged workers or marginally attached workers, and these are people who are don't show up in the official unemployment statistics because they're not actively looking for a job, but they still might like to have a job. So th- those data are also readily available. Online and seeing where those numbers are headed can also give a more complete picture.
0: Inflation, obviously, it has been at the top of mind for more than a year now. But it seems to me like inflation is something that, if you want to be fair about it, there needs to be nuance to it. And what I mean by that is, I think we talked a lot about inflation when gas prices were through the roof about a year ago. And Once gas prices came down, inflation seemed to recede as a main concern. You still heard about it, but it was not kind of brought up in random conversation like it was with gas prices. So how much of our discussion about inflation is driven by something like gas prices? Because literally you can see the prices going up on every other block as you drive to work, and something that was 3.25 on Monday and is 3.50 on Friday is going to give you a negative outlook.
1: Yeah, so I think you're right. The gas prices are highly, highly visible, and a lot of people, you know, because of their commute to and from work, they buy gas really regularly. So it's one of those things. that's definitely a flashpoint. It also tends to be quite volatile. You know, year on year, gas prices can bounce around a lot. So they do tend to come up in discussion a lot. I think we also saw, like, I remember the price of eggs kind of spiking. Um, but like those have come back down quite a bit uh, as well. I think when it with, when it comes to inflation, it's it's important to to keep in mind that it does hit different people differently. So uh, you can look at how inflation affects really low income households and really how it affects higher income households. And over time, the trend is for inflation to actually be higher for lower income households than higher income households, just because the prices of what you know lower income households spend more of a larger fraction of their income on necessities. So things like food, uh, maybe utilities and housing, especially, and those price the, the, the rate of inflation for that bundle that low income households consume has been a little bit higher, maybe about half 06 percent higher over the years. Uh, than for high higher income households, that did reverse in 2021. It it inverted for about a year, uh, but generally the trend over you know is that inflation is higher for lower income households, and you know it makes sense when you think about especially housing. Uh, lower income households tend not to own their houses as much as high high income households, and rent definitely goes up with inflation. But if you're in like a 30 year fixed mortgage at three and a half percent, that you know your your housing cost is not being impacted uh nearly as much. So you know with housing it's it's really very transparent why inflation might differ and housing is a big fraction of a lot of a lot of households um, costs so you can see there why that factor alone would tend to make inflation diverge for those uh, households. So yeah with inflation, I think you're right, there is nuance to inflation. it's not the same for everyone and it's also the case that we probably pay too much attention to certain, Super visible prices, like things that we buy super regularly, and the ones that bounce around and make us mad, like gas prices.
0: We need to take a break. We will have more with Dr. Mark Stair right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth, and we are back on KYW News Radio in depth, continuing our conversation about the American economy with Dr. Mark Stair. He is director of the School of Economics at Drexel University's Lebeau College of Business. With economists specifically, is there something kind of inherent in the DNA of the of the the line of study and the occupation that good news can never just be good news and everything has to be delivered with a caveat, you know, to your point, GDP, four point nine percent, that's great, but it's probably not sustainable. You know, we've added four hundred thousand jobs, but the unemployment rate actually went up like it's never just, Hey, this is really impressive. We should all be happy about this is, I mean, I'm saying this kind of tongue in cheek, but it also not because I feel like it kind of tempers any kind of really good news.
1: Yeah. So I think this may come back to economists. Uh, you know, you've heard the expression, uh, you know, there's no free lunch. (laughs) So, you know, when economists like to build models to think about how the economy works, uh, and inherent in those models is often this idea that there's, there's no such thing as a free lunch. So when you get higher growth, that's great. Um, but what our models tell us is that's pushing, you know, if you're pushing the boundary of growth past what the economy can sustain. In other words, if the economy is growing faster than something like the underlying productivity, that is gonna be likely to trigger inflation. Like that's what our models tell us. So often there's a trade-off. So, you know, if you wanna lower unemployment, at some point, you risk overheating the economy and triggering inflation. You know, if you want to really get the economy going, uh, like we did during the pandemic, and we want to have a lot of government spending to stimulate the economy, well, down the road, you know, you're piling up the debt. So uh, there are often these trade-offs where, in, in order to make one variable better, you're going to make another one uh, worse. And that's just sort of that's just sort of the way the world works a lot of the time, and so I guess we just feel obliged to point out these trade-offs maybe more often than we should. I guess, you know, ec- economics is called the dismal science. It's actually, d- Which I think is a, a terrible misnomer. It has nothing to do with this. It, it has to do with the fact that back way back in the day, people observed, well, this was pre-industrialization. When you saw um, population growing, the idea was if we learned how to grow more food, the population would just increase. And so people would wind up with the same amount of food per person as we started with uh and so that was a very dismal conclusion uh it proved not to be correct however so uh, i don't think we deserve the name the dismal science um although in in the case we point out where we always have a caveat i guess it it may reinforce (laughs) that name
0: kind of going hand in hand with that one of the other things that kind of led to wanting to have this conversation is whenever there is good news it seems to be presented not necessarily by economists but in the media as a yeah but and i'm curious because at first i was kind of like stumped by this like we added all these jobs how is this not you know overall good news in your opinion how much of the business news is presented to us through the the funnel of what corporate america wants and in corporate america's eyes it's not that more people have jobs they don't really care about that it is well, this is probably going to make interest rates higher, and we're not going to be able to borrow free money like we did a couple of years ago. I mean, am I being too cynical, or is there something to this stuff is framed with how it affects the big wigs on Wall Street and not how it affects the average american?
1: yes, yeah, so that's a it's a it's a really interesting observation. I think probably there's truth to that. And my guess is the reason comes out of you know historically a lot a lot of the cl- the clients or the people who are paying. For this economic news, are are big big companies that can you know that need these data to make decisions you know planning decisions for their business how much to produce, you know should we raise wages should we borrow money or not should we borrow now, um, so a lot of the people who are paying for these indicators were big companies, and so I think the firms that were supplying or organizations supplying this information were probably responding to that that need. Uh, and also, the you know, the government collects a lot of statistics, too, but a lot of their the people who are most interested in that information, it, it is companies. So my guess is that's that's where that bias is a strong word. But I guess it is a bias toward p- providing indicators that business finds useful. I think that's probably where it does come from. But the profession, I mean, you know, economists do care about welfare um, as a whole. So it probably would be, um, you know, a good idea for the profession to make sure it also um, puts out and emphasizes indicators that show how the economy is performing uh, for the typical person, because ultimately that is that is what we care about the most.
0: You mentioned doesn't look like we're going to have a recession, and that was another thing that you heard drumbeat after drumbeat a year, year and a half ago, that, oh, recession looming, recession 100% guaranteed in 2023, recession this, recession that. Can you kind of, if there is kind of a quick you know elevator pitch of how economists and some of these big money firms kind of forecast recession because to me as a layman it sounded like something that was just constantly said constantly said and eventually you're going to be right there will be in a recession one day and then you can beat your chest and say oh see i told you it was coming i mean i didn't think it was coming in 2029 i thought it was coming earlier but i told you a recession was coming like you know once again i'm kind of being tongue-in-cheek but it's also kind of one of these things that that kind of gets presented and kind of leads to a lot of that doom and gloom because people feel like well even if it's good the people that are smart about this say the bad times are coming
1: yeah, so I am not super well-versed in the art of macroeconomic forecasting. My wheelhouse is more on the microeconomics and health economics side. But you know, just providing a general overview, they do look at a lot of uh, different indicators. And I think especially the Federal Reserve is really active in exploring uh, new data sets that can be collected uh, more in real time to make these forecasts. And I, 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 really can't give you much of an insight as to what's under the hood because I don't dabble in this myself. But I will say that you know, for the the pace at which inflation came down, probably in a typical economic environment, um, it, it's reasonable to expect that would have triggered a recession in normal times. However, we were in this post-pandemic environment that we none of us really remember. Uh, and e- even if anyone did remember back to the influenza epidemic a century ago the economy was totally different back then. So not even sure if you had all that data, the lessons would apply to now. So I I think the you know the misfire there may have just been that people were using models that were sort of built in normal times for a post-pandemic situation. And they just a bit of a miscue. The other thing I'll just say is the economy is just, even in normal times, it's an incredibly complex thing and it's a moving target. So as soon as you understand it, 18 months later, it's it's changed. And so you're understanding, you know, you may be off a little bit just because the ground is always moving underneath you.
0: And I'm curious with regards to interest rates, you know, we had about a, what, a solid year of them raising them pretty consistently. But once again, just as somebody from the outside looking in who's never really studied any of this, we talk about this like it's almost like, oh, my God, what's happening? All these interest rate hikes where we're just basically in the ballpark of where we were like before the housing crisis, we just had this incredibly long period of, for lack of a better term, free money, maybe a whole generation of people coming through business just got used to that. And now all of a sudden that we're in a more, I would say overall normal interest, you know, situation when you look at, you know, a big length of time uh, that, it it just seems crazy to me that this is treated almost as like unprecedented and oh my god the house is on fire when it seems to me like the decade before was was more the exception than the rule or am i misreading
1: no i think that's right historically um interest rates have been more like where they are now than like they were in the decade following the great recession yeah the, the other thing it's it's important to keep in mind is also the real interest rate, uh, right? Because there's the there's the nominal interest rate, which is what we see quoted all over the place, but then there's also inflation. And so when you take into account uh, inflation, the uh, the real interest rates haven't actually been that high. You know, if inflation's running eight percent and the nominal interest rate is five percent, you actually come out ahead borrowing money. So um, in- interest rates might not be as high as they seem once you take into account. Uh, inflation. And my final question, just kind of given all we're taught, we've talked about, what are you
0: kind of keeping an eye on going forward as far as what you think will tell where we're going economically?
1: Like I said, I'm not always in the business of being a macroeconomic forecaster. Um, but I do think, you know, the the Fed has got to have its eyes on inflation. Uh, and so if that starts ticking up again, I think it's going to be really hard for the Fed to certainly to lower interest rates. Uh, so I would keep my eyes on inflation. I think the employment numbers right now look pretty good. So I'm not too worried about that. Inflation is the number that I would be most concerned with right now. That's it for this episode of KYW News
0: Radio In Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.